Certainly we're honored and blessed to be able to come together on this Lord's Day morning. Thankful are we that God has showered upon us the blessing of this 30th day of April. We come to this particular month with five Sundays this year, and we're thankful also that this coming Sunday, one week from today, will be the inauguration of our gospel meeting this year. I know preparation has been underway in light of the flowers passed out, invitations extended to others to be with us, various preparations on our part for not only the events of next Sunday, but also, of course, during the duration of that particular meeting as well. Brother Glenn Colley is again going to be with us. We have scheduled this meeting nine years ago. Uh, his bookings, his arrangements required us to put him on the schedule that far in advance, and that time has now so swiftly passed by, and he's going to be with us beginning next Sunday. Again, if we, may I ask each of us that we, if at all possible, carve out those particular service times, make sure to be here if at all you can. If you need a ride, let, let some of us know. We'll be honored and certainly happy to make a veil of that in any way that we can. And let's also invite others to be with us, encouraging them to come and also be blessed by the messages and by the time together in service unto God. As we give thought to that, may I say, at least by way of our service tonight, let's also make that a priority as well. Uh, this will be our questions and answers for this current month of April, so I'll certainly keep that in mind if you would and be back with us this evening as we reflect on what questions you have in fact presented, and we'll give thought to them as well. I don't have the PowerPoint for the lesson this morning, but I will invite you to turn to Romans chapter 1. We'll be looking at a few features characteristic of at least a few of the verses taken out of Romans chapter 1. And we will do that in light of some powerful considerations for you and for me. The church in Rome was a congregation of the Lord's people that had begun in some rather challenging circumstances. And in fact, it was continuing onward with a rather wide array of challenges as well. But may I say, in light of that, that the beginning point of the book began with words that read like this. May I direct your attention to verse 14. I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. We will look at a few more of the verses shortly, but as we just step through some of that which is delivered to us here, by inspiration, Paul was able to address this congregation, and rather directly, but also rather potently say, I am a debtor. Paul considered himself under obligation. It wasn't so much an optional matter. It was a matter of accounting on his part. I'm debtor, he would claim, both to the Greeks and to the barbarians to those that were learned, and to those that were not. You and I today are surrounded by also people in those various categories. There are folks you and I know who are schooled and educated and somewhat refined, but there are also those who perhaps, due to the circumstances of life, do not fall in those categories. And yet both are in need of the gospel. Both are in need of what the Lord Jesus Christ offers. And so Paul addressed that initial thought, to the congregation at Rome making that same observation. He closes that same verse by saying, both to the wise 
and to the unwise. Now, Paul used those thoughts reminding of wisdom and foolishness as the world would regard it. Those with lots of education, those without so much, from the worldly standpoint. Paul understood quite well, you see, that the thing that he had to offer was so needful, so prized, so wonderful, he said, I'm a debtor to preach it. And then he continued like this in verse 15, So as much as in me is, to the degree of the healthfulness and capacity and capability which is mine, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. And so Paul draws their attention to the congregation of the Lord's people at Rome. Now here was a congregation of people who again were beset by a number of afflictions and challenges. They were in need of the gospel, but the environment in which they found themselves was in critical need of it. You and I might remember that Rome was, of course, the imperial city. It was the capital of the Roman Empire. And so the forces quite often directed to things otherwise than what God would declare were rampant here. They were not only commonly occurring, but they were often encouraged by those desirous of serving those in high position. So as much as in me is, I'm ready to preach the gospel. I think you and I can contemplate others throughout the course of biblical history who also were found themselves in position, like Jonah. He at first wasn't ready to preach what God had him to say, but he later found himself willing, after a little time spent in the belly of a great, uh, belly of a great fish. But it might be fair to notice here, Paul was this person who was especially equipped by the nature of God's provision of talent and otherwise capacity, that he was now ready to make direction of effort toward the city of Rome. Even though Rome was a place of high worldly prestige, it was a place in great need of the gospel, and Paul agreed that he was ready to preach it. I hope you and I can use some of the slogans in these first three verses that we're going to study today to help us. Are you and I debtor? Are you and I ready? Are you and I unashamed? It is in regard to that last one. It now brings us to verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The forces arrayed against the nature of the gospel were certainly going to be rather mighty, but Paul said, I'm not afraid and I'm not ashamed. He gave particular emphasis to the latter part. You see, Paul seemingly trusted in the Lord sufficiently so that the matters touching and the matters related to these things were a matter of somewhat ease on his mind. Isn't it interesting the way that verse 16 has been preserved for you and me? The Holy Spirit's revelation, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. That word gospel is the translation of the Greek word dunamis. It's the literal word from which we get our English word dynamo, dynamite. It's something powerful. It's something capable. It's something, in fact, quite filled with the opportunity. And yet in it... You notice Paul said, this is the gospel of Christ. 
It's the power of God to salvation. The one thing that people need the most, sometimes they don't understand it. We, we appreciate that. But the thing that is most needful, the thing that is the keenest element of the needs of the human family is the gospel. That's true not only of ancient Rome. It's true of the other places of which we read in the New Testament, and it's true today. And we're having a gospel meeting next Sunday. Don't you love the name? There are those particular religious organizations that call it a revival. That, too, is somewhat a fine term of description. A reviving, an appreciation in us to call us back to the importance and the priority connected to efforts like this one. We all would agree every Sunday is incredibly valuable. It is a time to draw us back to the thing that connects us to what happened on the cross about 2,000 years ago. It's that keen and critical. We must never forget it or lose sight of its significance. But next Sunday is a time when we've invited a special speaker. We will sing wonderful songs of acclamation and praise. We will encourage one another and even enjoy a meal after the morning service. All of that's to say, it's a special Sunday, at least in that regard. But it's by the same token, a time when the primary matter of the day will surround the gospel of Christ. That's more important than the meal. It's more important than the otherwise fellowship we might enjoy. But it's the message of the truth, the gospel that's going to be shared and proclaimed. I hope as you and I continue to pray for the meeting that we'll do that with a sense of urgency. May I offer the following hopefulness. Pray for Brother Colley. Pray that the delivery, pray that the particulars of the way in which the messages are constructed will be of maximal benefit, will be of maximal presentation to be a blessing to us. And yea, not only for the duration of the meeting, but as we carry those messages in our thinking, that we might use them in the days ahead to help carry forth the word of the gospel even better in this place. May I say, pray for each other, for the Pippin Church of Christ, that we might be dutiful servants of the Lord during the course of that meeting, in whatever opportunities of service the Lord will set before us, invitations, the offering of other kindnesses and blessings, in whatever way we can to promote the meeting and to promote the cause of the, the, cause of the Master Himself. In addition to that, pray for those that you're inviting. Perhaps those that aren't members of the church. That they might have an ear of response. That they might be at least have an interest to come. That they might be pricked by something that's said. That they might find this congregation a friendly one that they'll want to visit again. Pray for all those things. Pray for our meeting in terms above all else, I suppose, that the Word of God may have free course, to borrow the words of the New Testament, that the Word of God may be wrung out with power and soundness, and as Paul, in fact, shared his initial statement to the church at Rome, not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Let's finish up that 16th verse by noting this, "...it is the power of God unto salvation." To everyone that believeth. 
The first thing we'd quickly note then, that salvation won't come merely those that hear, but hearing is important. You can't believe what you haven't heard. You can't believe what you have not been apprised of. And so Paul highlights the need to believe. We're so thankful for the opportunity of language and the sharing of the truth of the gospel. And so it is that Paul says to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first. Among the classes of the ancient people, and quite frankly, we learn later in the Roman letter that this congregation, the church at Rome, was one that had a bit of an issue of melding together those who were of Jewish background and those that were of Gentile background into one harmonious, loving body. Paul will highlight that later in chapter 15. At least for right now, Paul began the message by saying, this gospel is the same of need for each one, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now let's step into verse 17. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. That word therein means in there. In where? In the gospel. Paul quickly pointed out then to them of that day and us today that that same gospel of which I'm unashamed, that same one that has the word of for salvation to both Jew and to Greek, it is in that gospel that the righteousness of God is revealed. What do I need to do to be right? What do you and I need to think about, to say, or perhaps not to say? Or what do we then choose not to think about in order to be right in the sight of God? All righteousness is connected thus to our day-to-day beneath the banner of that gospel. For that reason, the gospel, we cherish it. And we lovingly desire it to be proclaimed far and near, powerfully. And so this gospel meeting will in fact seek to do that. Beginning at 9.30 next Sunday morning, Brother Colley is going to teach the Bible the, the class. And it will not be a lesson like the one we've been doing. Our elders have given him the freedom to select a different topic. So we'll hold on to our continuing study of 1 Kings, and that will take place after the meeting is concluded. But Brother Colley, for that lesson on Sunday morning, and then continuing throughout the duration of, our, of, of the gospel meeting, he will deliver various lessons. You may be familiar with Brother Colley in that he's a rather widely appreciated spokesman and speaker for the gospel. He's a speaker on the GBN Broadcasting Network, the Gospel Broadcasting Network. And in addition, he holds many lectureships and various training workshops around the Brotherhood, many of them taking place each year. Many of our men here have attended the East Main Lectureship in August for a number of years, and Brother Colley was one of the speakers on that program. Needless to say, he is rather skilled at being able to present the message of the truth. And so again, I hope that we each are looking forward to the meeting, are praying about the meeting, and excited about this occurrence in the life of the Pippin Church of Christ. As you revisit verse 17 with me, you may notice it says that it's revealed from faith to faith. What did Paul mean by this statement of from faith to faith? 
it would seem that the idea Paul had in mind, at least based on some of the other statements presented in, in this wonderful epistle, would lead us to appreciate that it's revealed from faith, that is to say, from the beginning element, all the way to a greater maturity in. For aren't you and I of a position to note the just shall live by faith? So, those that already have begun the gospel journey, and yet they can be strengthened and fortified by way of their element of continuance in that gospel. So, may I say, even those who may have been Christians many years in this assembly, you too can be greatly benefited and blessed by the meeting because your faith will be anchored even more strongly, and you shall also appreciate an increasing growth. If you think about the various categories of those that might be connected to the meeting, those of whom you and I can consider first, what about faithful Christians? They can be blessed by the meeting because their faith is urged onward. The element of difficulty that often surrounds us in life, those folks have already got the right answers, but their faith can be even more strongly fortified as they are encouraged to continue what has already begun to work for them. It's also true, though, there can be wayward child, children of God. Those who at one time were faithful, but they're not now. They desperately need, of course, a gospel meeting because they need to be reminded and encouraged to come back to the love they once had known and the truth that they once had chosen to believe in. At the moment, they've chosen to, to turn aside their back to God. We all know from the Word of God on countless examples how poorly that works out. You, you will never mock God that way. Do we not read in Galatians 6, verses 7 and 8, Be not deceived. Thus, Paul warned those of that day, Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever man soweth, that shall he also reap. He that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. He that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. We shall by all means reap what we sow. It can also be true, though, that there are those who have never become Christians. They've reached an age of perhaps that ought to be something seriously to be considered. And yet, they haven't yet made that choice, that decision, that direction in life. May we also pray for them. You see, no matter what the station in life, a gospel meeting can be a matter of tremendous encouragement and a matter of vitality in the life of a congregation of the Lord's people. As you close that 17th verse, we are directly led to a warning that follows in the next verse. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. These admonitions so far have been, quite frankly, very positive. Salvation, the nature of faith, all housed in the gospel. And now we're quickly warned about this. God's wrath is revealed. Isn't it true that, and I suppose it has ever been this way, but there's a great desire and a great movement on the part of the human family to emphasize certain characteristics of God. By and large, we greatly love to think about God's mercy, His grace, 
the fact of His love, as well as the features connected to His compassion. After all, He is called our Father. But may I say that we do a great disservice to God if that's all we think about. May I say we certainly ought to give thought to those matters, and they ought to occupy a rather notable amount of our consideration. But isn't it true the Bible has much to say about God's wrath? Our God is a God of wrath. No wonder Paul could say in 2 Corinthians 5.11, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. That's the reason we have a message for them. It's the message of the gospel. Because we know that our God is a God of wrath. But who is the wrath directed to? Did you note verse 18? The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against who? All unrighteousness and ungodliness of men. Those who are His children are not the recipients of this wrath. Those that are the recipients are those who have been disobedient, who are disobedient, who are not reckoned among that number. They're the ones choosing unrighteousness and choosing ungodliness. May I say that this meeting will highlight the nature then of making better choices than that. Not choosing the way of unrighteousness, but choosing the way of godliness and holiness and that which is highlighted is right. We are certainly ever mindful and thankful that in the midst of the choices of men which so often are misguided and so often based upon a faulty foundation, we have the gospel, which is the infallible, inerrant, authoritative, always right word of God. And that's what will be heralded during the course of our meeting. We quite frankly are honored that God has allowed us the opportunity for such an event. As you give thought to verse number 18, and that thought of the wrath of God, in your mind's eye for just a moment, give thought to the array of biblical examples that display what God's wrath can do, has done, and the fear that it ought to bring to you and me. And by that word fear, I mean healthy respect for God. What did He do to the world of Noah's day? Because that they had chosen to live ungodly. A flood of waters destroyed every human being with the exception of eight. And of course, all the land-dwelling creatures as well. That's what God did then. What did the wrath of God do in Genesis 19 to the cities of the plain known as Sodom and Gomorrah and Adma and Zeboim? We learn in Deuteronomy 29, 23 that that was prompted by God's anger. What happened to Sodom and Gomorrah was not just a fly-by-night consideration. God was angry. The cities of the plain and the people who lived there had made some choices pursuant of those things that were unrighteous, and God wasn't pleased. You and I well recall what some of them were. They included fornication, homosexuality, arrogance, pride, and the like. And that degree of consideration, wouldn't you agree, is a part of what seemingly describes, sadly, a fair matter of promotion of people on earth today. The church needs to be fortified, understanding that the stance the Word of God presents is right, has been right, and will always be right. 
Aren't we thankful for the Word of God? Those two examples all come from the first book in the Bible. So many others might be named. In fact, some of God's own people felt His wrath. You remember the scene of the golden calf, the matters surrounding the scene recorded for us in Exodus 32. And in that particular passage, here were God's own people. He had brought them out of Egypt. But now here they were frolicking and dancing around a golden calf and doing the very thing that the first two commandments would overtly declare were not to be done. You and I recall what sorts of things happened to them. A lot of them died. And only two of them entered the promised land. Two. Out of 603,550 fighting men who left Egypt, two out of that number entered Canaan. Was God a God of wrath on that occasion? Sorrowful for the choices, the foolish ones that those people had made? Absolutely. And Numbers chapters 13 and 14 detail it in high regard. I might say in light of all those things, that as you and I come to the New Testament, God's love was so magnificent that He sent His Son. And that son died on a cross, taking care of your sins and mine, if we'll only let him. And not only ours, but every human being. And we have the message that details the measure of that love and the fullness that it sends. Do we not read in John 3, 36, speaking about the wrath of God? Jesus Himself said, The wrath of God will be poured on those that don't believe in Him. I wonder how many folks that may be acquaintances of you or me. Folks that might live fairly close to this building, may we invite them so that they'll at least have the opportunity. And we hope that they shall choose to avail themselves of it, that they too will join us, and they'll be encouraged, and at the very least, they'll be given some food for thought. And we hope that in time, they might too come to love the Lord the way you and I do. Surely, as you and I think about that wrath of God in verse number 18, it's at this point, marching forward, that Paul lists a number of the sins of the Gentiles. I think as you read that list, and we shall not take the time to do it, but it will sound a lot like the modern occurrences that are quite common today. There is one statement that's made relatively near the beginning of that, Allow me to highlight that if I could. It's found in verse number 22. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. The movement, the consideration that seems so dramatic in the mind of many today is a proclamation of this is what educated and wise folks do. And yet it stands directly opposed to the teaching of this book. We need to be constantly reminded Because if we're not, we can begin to become weak. And what is preached often enough will soon come to be accepted. There's an old poem that highlights that well. But isn't it still true? What is said often enough, people will start to believe it. No matter how ridiculous it actually is. You and I are grounded in the truth, but oh how often... We need a constant measure and a steady diet of that which is the Word of God. And we look forward to the meeting. As we come near the close of this lesson this morning,
It has been an opportunity for us to use just a few of the verses in the opening chapter of the Roman letter. Verses that not only at least can be used to help us remember the nature of this meeting, but an encouragement to us in light of things such as our prayer, our effort, our diligence, and our commitment to, in fact, that meeting. I know that as the days are now brief, only a few now until the beginning of the meeting, we have just a few more opportunities and days. And even once the meeting begins, of course, there will be continued opportunities, but let's face it, by Wednesday of next week, the meeting comes to a close. I know that as we look forward to it, God will bless our efforts. And may we continue to pray toward that end. Maybe there's someone in this assembly today that you realize your life isn't as it ought to be, and so you will not have the opportunity to be much of an example to others because your own life is too much of a roadblock. Folks might ask, why would I want to be what you claim to be, but you really aren't? Why would I have any interest in trying to come to your meeting when you need to be there more than I do? May you and I have an urgency in light of that Christian example striving to live a life of holiness, encouraged of us in 1 Peter 1.16, and a desire to be the shining example highlighted in verses like Matthew 5, verse 16. Let your light so shine that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Brother Larry has chosen a song of encouragement. We're going to stand in just a moment and sing that together. And if at this moment... There might be an interest on the part of someone in conviction to respond in a public way to the gospel. We want you to know we would love to help. We'd love to encourage. We would love to listen to what we might do in order to assist you in your Christian journey. If you've never become a Christian, that would involve beginning the gospel life like this. Believe in the Lord, repent of your sins, confess His name, and in the wonderful watery grave of baptism, your sins are washed away. At that point, live faithfully. And certainly, you could invite and encourage many others during this meeting. If you have or have become a Christian at some point, but as of today, you need to make changes. You know it. The Lord certainly knows it. And many others may know it as well. But above all else, make a decision, a commitment, a determination that starting at this point, you will do that which is right. And the Lord's promised to help you. If we could be of assistance, we want you to know the way we can. Let us know if you would while together we stand and while we sing.